Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and a Happy New Year to everybody for 2023. This is the Tomorrow Christian Today, back in Canada and tackling Genesis 14. California was a blast, but I think the people in California move faster, think faster, drive faster than I can think and react. I'm kind of getting on in age and I'm a little bit of a slowpoke. And I'm kind of glad when life is a little bit less fast paced. I've made a decision to read the Bible in NLT, the New Living Translation. And I am, I do that because I just read the NLT uh, when I'm around. Like in, Cal- in California and on the plane, I read Romans in the NLT, Colossians in the NLT, Ephesians in the NLT, and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in the NLT. I just find it so much easier to understand. I appreciate the SV is like the study Bible version. I appreciate that Dr. MacArthur has created a, um, a study Bible in the SV. And I appreciate his notes. And I appreciate the King James, which I always kind of read before. But at my age, I need understanding. I think there's a lot of people out there who just don't read their Bible. And they just kind of depend on a sermon or they listen to sermons. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think that as a Christian, you need to pick the Bible up for yourself. And I'm not knocking the other versions. I just find the NLT to be really fun to read, really understandable. And I'm going to I'm gonna bet that, that God is going to sit right next to me and help me understand the Bible better with the NLT. And if I read something in the NLT and I say, I'm not really sure that this is true or I don't really like this. I've got the compare version in the version Bible and I just have to click compare and then check it with the KJV. King James or the ESV, whatever, and I can double check to make sure that they haven't taken uh, too creative a license with the verse. But I'm here to read the Bible through. I'm committed to that and I'm here for understanding. And I want people to have understanding. I want to promote Jesus. I don't want to promote all these doctrines, all these weird ideas. You know, I was reading a book. My cousin gave me a book um, and it was a Christmas present. And it was... um, a book written by a very famous Christian theologian pastor. And I did not I did not agree with what he said. That if people, um, that, you know, he was saying, he was almost knocking when you have a Bible study and you give people a Bible and there are certain people that he seemed to imply, and I might have read this wrong. I only read it once and I was, I was actually offended by it. He, he actually said, well, there are some people that should not be allowed to talk. And there are only certain people that should be allowed to teach from the Bible. That is absolutely wrong in my book. I disagree wholeheartedly. I disagree agreeably. God and Jesus, Jesus died to bring us in proximity with, with, Je- with God and the Holy Spirit. He died, he forgave um, his death cause us to be justified in front of God so that we could seek God and that God could put a Bible in each and every one of our hands. And granted, there are some people that think very well and some people that have trouble thinking, but everybody has a right to read the Bible and comment on the scriptures. For a pastor to say that some people should not be allowed to speak because they're going to say wrong things, that is control. That is wrong, and that's what the devil advocates. Control. Only some people get to speak, and others have to listen. 
I disagree. My King, Jesus Christ, does not think like that. He loved everybody and he came to everybody and everybody is valuable and everybody has a right to their opinion if they're reading the scriptures and they're asking the Holy Spirit to guide them because everybody's going to shine a different light from the Holy Spirit because everybody's a different crystal. Light shine reflects out of a purple crystal and it reflects out of a blue crystal blue and out of a green crystal green and it's white light that you shine on the crystal. The crystal was made to shine differently. And you don't have to agree with other people's opinions. You don't have to agree with 50% of their opinions or you can. But to say that some people should not be allowed to speak because they're going to make the Bible study um, go wrong and only some people should be allowed. Who does he want people? Who does he want to speak? People that he agrees with and that agree with him. So the standard is not God's word. It's him. I was really wrong and I really took it wrongly, possibly, but I was just, I disagree agreeably. Abram rescues Lot. About this time, war broke out in the region. King Amphro of Babylonia, King Arioch of Elisar. I just sneezed during a podcast and I'm not going to edit that out. King Karlamar of Elam and King Tidal of Golim. Goim. These names are killing me. Just a whole bunch of guys were fighting. How about that? Verses 1 and 2. The second group of kings joined forces in Sidim Valley, that is the Valley of the Dead Sea. For 12 years they had been subject to King Kurdalamire, but in the 13th year they rebelled against him. So 12. Isn't that funny? We see 12, like 12 disciples, 12 tribes of Israel. And then 13. Like 13 is like a bad number, like Revelation 13. Very interesting numbers, eh? And then, and then these guys again in verse 5 and verse 6 and verse 7. There's Mount Seir. So there's a bunch of different um, places. There's a bunch of different kings. And it's all familiar races that we have seen. You know, the human race without God is just like animals. Fighting and fornicating. And just getting into a whole heap of trouble. There's no niceness here. There's just people fighting for land, for scraps of land, for money. Isn't it kind of sad? That's all they're doing. It's just the, and then it says the rebel kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and Zebulim and Bela, also called Zor. Again, they're battling in the valley of the Dead Sea. As it happened, the valley, verse 10, the, the valley of the Dead Sea was filled with tar pits. And as the army of the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled some fell into the tar pits while the rest escaped into the mountains doesn't this sound this sounds like revelation 20 to me this sounds like armageddon people fighting near this area of the dead sea falling into tar pits like fire falling down from heaven in revelation and fire and tar doesn't it sound like just really bad behavior and then the victorious invaders verse 11 plundered sodom and gomorrah and headed for home taking with them all the spoils of war and the food supplies. Isn't that always true? What happened now um, happened before. What will happen in the future has happened before. It all, there's all, it's always a repeat. There's always something that repeats. Um, things don't change. And the wars don't change. The people at the top change, but it's still human nature at its very, very worst. 
It says in verse 12, they captured Lot, Abram's nephew, who lived in Sodom and carried off everything he owned. So he was captured. So verse 13 says that they reported everything to Abram, the Hebrew, who was living near the oak grove, belonging to Mamre the Amorite. Mamre and his relatives, Eshal and Anner, were Abram's allies. You know, when I read this and I see all these different names that I possibly don't know, I have to take it on faith that it's accurate. And I do take it on faith because I think this is God's book and I don't think God lies and God has a way of preserving history. And if it's written this way, I don't think it's made up. Maybe the exact number of years, 12 years, 13 years, maybe there's, maybe it's not precise, but to me it's macro accurate. I really don't know if it was 12 years or 13 years, but I believe every scrap of the Bible. And I'm a literalist, so I tend to read it as literally as possible. Certainly in the Old Testament, the Old Testament seems to be the history of the world, uh, the covenant with the world, the covenant of sinners, the Old Testament, the law. The law was made, um, it says in First Timothy, the law is really for the lawless. It's training wheels to keep lawless people in line so they don't hurt themselves. Because as you can see in this chapter in Genesis 14, that's what they're doing. Sinful people hurt themselves. Hurting people hurt. Sinful people sin. And fighting people fight. And they, they hurt each other and they kill each other. It says here that Abram chased them as far as Horbah, verse 15. And then he recovered all the goods and he brought back his nephew Lot with his possessions and all the women and other captives. So there's a lot of bad guys in this chapter. There's a lot of fighting and Abram is a good guy. And it seems that God is with him because he actually recovers his nephew. So even though Lot was in this really bad place and anybody could say, well, you deserve to, you deserve what happened to you because you were not living in a good place. Abraham, you know, God uses Abraham to rescue Lot and, and, and other, um, the women and the captives that were with him. Then it says in verse 17, Abraham returned from his victory over Kurdolar Mor and all his allies. The king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shavah. So this Melchizedek person, verse 18, the king of Salem and a priest of God most high brought Abraham some bread and wine. So here's this man who is a godly man, a Christian, a Christian man, right? He's a, a God-fearer, a God-believer, even though there's no Jesus. He still somehow has the knowledge of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he brings Abram some bread and wine. It sounds like a communion service. Isn't that amazing? And then verse 19, he blessed Abram with his blessing. Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had received, he had recovered. So in a way, Abram, even though he's a man of faith, also has a pastor, also has a priest. So we can't always down pastors and priests. They have their opinions and God gives us pastors and priests. We should not put our pastor in front of Jesus. Our pastor is supposed to be a symbol, a representation of Jesus, but he's an imperfect symbol. He's an under-shepherd, not an over-shepherd. And I think sometimes that people tend to either worship their pastor or be highly critical of their pastor. Their pastor is a supplement. 
to God and the Bible. And even though the pastor is there to give you wisdom and give you words and give you understanding on Sunday and be a counselor to the church that he's working in, no pastor, no sermon can substitute for spending time with God and the Holy Scriptures. It's up to you. Somebody else can't do it for you. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you. And it's funny because um, this Melchizedek person later on in the Bible is sort of taking symbolically as a, uh, a, a type, a symbol of Jesus. It says here, if I can find it quickly. So I'm going to turn, I'm reading from the NLT on the screen, but I do have my John MacArthur ESV. And it says in Psalm 110, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's Psalm 110 verses, verses four. Verse five, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. So in Psalm 110 and Genesis 14, there's a lot of fighting. And yet somehow God is manifest. And I think he's manifest symbolically through this king of Salem, um, who is Melchizedek, and also through Abram, who has been given communion, a symbol of Jesus' um, broken body and blood for our sins. Isn't it amazing how the devil, how the, sorry, the, not the devil, the Bible puts all these things, and you know, it's all there. All you got to do is read it. And I just find the NLT is so much easier to understand. I do remember also, if I can find it, um, sitting in a church when I was 50 years old, 58 now, and I think that was the beginning of my journey out of the old covenant, out of Sabbath keeping and into the new covenant, which is Jesus Christ, which is relationship with God, which is access to the Holy Spirit and having the Holy Spirit indwell in you. And I, I do remember um, um, the pastor speaking uh, about this. And he was speaking, it says here in Hebrews 7, it says, Hebrews 7, verse 17, For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God as our pastor. He's pleading for us. His blood has justified us that we can come before God in him and we can speak to God. We have the air of Jesus and Jesus has the air of God. So in a, in, a, in a roundabout way, we get to talk to our Heavenly Father. Because when God looks at us, if he, if he saw our sins, He wouldn't listen to us. But because we have Jesus as our Savior, God is now our Father, not our enemy. Because sin is attached to us, but because Jesus is our Savior, we are sinless before God. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus is pleading for us, and the Spirit is uttering groans on our behalf. It also says here um, in verse 22, Hebrews 7:22, the this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. It says in one verse higher, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Jesus is our mediator forever. Does that does that what's gonna happen in heaven? Well, I 
guess he's our he's our savior he's our he's god our savior he's our blessed redeemer he's our savior he's our friend you know he's not ashamed to call us brother isn't that amazing and we have been made perfect through the through the 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 life and the death and and the burial and the resurrection of jesus christ it says in hebrews 7 25 consequently he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to god through him it says through him since he always lives to make intercession for them so jesus is in us and we are in christ and because of that we get to talk to god we have gone from the holy place to the most holy place because that's what happened when Jesus died. The curtain in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. It was God's way of saying, I'm tearing up the division between us. Now, now I live in you and you live in me. And now there's no separation because of what Jesus did. And look, it's way back symbolized and hinted at in Genesis 14. Amazing. One more verse that I wanted to mention is when I was 50 and I was listening to this pastor, he said, but of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. When I heard the pastor say that, I realized that Jesus was not just a religious figure because I already had a, quote, religious figure unquote, uh, in my church who turned out to be a toxic, narcissistic liar. And the person who said these things, who said that pretended to be a prophet of, of, of God, um, this Baal is actually dead and buried. She's not a prophet of God. And when I saw this verse in Hebrews 1 verses 8, I realized that Jesus was way more important than I had led him out to be, that I had been taught that he was, and he wasn't just a supplement to this other person, that he was the only prophet and savior from God our Father. The king of Sodom said to Abram in verse 21, give back my people who were captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. Verse 22, Abram replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from what belongs to you. Otherwise you might say, I am the one who made Abram rich. I will only accept only what my young warriors have already eaten and I request that you give a fair share of the goods to my allies. So Abram is very fair in his dealings. He's generous, he's fair, he's courageous. And even though he has some negative points, he lied about Sarah and he was afraid and he sinned and he made mistakes as we all do. God is there to try to make us blossom into what we should have been. God does not want us to descend into animals that fight and fornicate and argue and bicker and have chaos in our lives. God is a God of order and he wishes us to have order because the Holy Spirit created order from disorder. And if you let the Holy Spirit into your heart through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will realign your heart and pull light out of darkness and pull order from chaos. That's what I see in this chapter. I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you, 
the Holy Spirit is with you and he will guide you into all truth. Not necessary that you have to agree with me, but that you have to be in alignment, in right oneness, in righteousness with God, your Father, our Father. God bless you this holiday season.